lazy little hamsters. Welcome one and all. Once again, the smartest man in the world vodcast takes to the ether here from the delightfully uh, uh, cosseted confines of tonight's uh, improbable place where comedy is melded uh, and built each day of the week. Uh, the hippest comedy club in all of Hollywood. The Nerd Melt uh, showroom right here in the heart of the liquor store district of the Sunset Boulevard. Right near all the music record st- uh, music stores. There's no more record stores. Well, there's a couple, but uh, all the music stores and... Mm, Flap doodle and hoo ha uh, that is sunset. Um, it's exactly, by the way, if you're listening out there in Proopcast Land, and this is an awesome time to spike your cocoa, or uh, uh, if you have a dog, it's a, a groovy time to uh, settle in uh, and let the dog dig my dulcet tones. I've been known to be a, a proop dog uh, whisperer uh, from time to time, and a lot of animals will do my bidding. So if you put your dog close to the speaker right now, let's get a couple things straight. Stay. <laughs> Stay quiet, quiet. It's going to be okay. Nothing's going on out there. It's not a cat. It's not a bird. It's just something. (laughs) And uh, if you're making tea, uh, this is a great time to uh, substitute uh, marijuana uh, for the tea that you're drinking and boil that up. And uh, it'll help as the show moves along. Any of the lull parts will just seem like vast, rich gulfs that you find yourself in (laughs) treading water ceaselessly. Uh, There'll be a warm, enveloping feel around you as nothing happens in the show for uh, moments at a time. Uh, But if you're high enough on the Proops pot tea that I'm suggesting you brew, uh, it won't be an issue at all. In fact, you'll feel like a pillow. Uh, descended around your person and that you are in fact inside that pillow and that the pillow is made out of sugary cereal and that you have to eat your way out. (laughs) And all will be right with the world. Uh, Welcome, if you're listening in uh, overseas, uh, Guten Abend. Uh, I saw uh, The Sound of Music a week ago. Uh, My wife and I went to the Turner Classic Music music Festival. You know, if there's one thing that Turner Classic Movies does best of all, it's Turner Classic Music. And uh, uh, Dooley Wilson was there. He was doing a little Casablanca concert. Um, Thank you for knowing who that is. Uh, Lena Horne came by and threw down some of her numbers uh, from Cabin in the Sky. Uh, Gene Kelly uh, did about 30 minutes up front. It was a terrific music festival over at Turner Classic Movies. The problem with with uh, having classic musicians is they're largely gone. And uh, so uh, as much as I wanted to see Benny Goodman uh, or even Steve Allen uh, as Benny Goodman, uh, it wasn't going to happen on either count. It was he who played Steve. Right. Because it was Jimmy Stewart who played Glenn Miller. Right. Because they keep playing Little Brown Jug over and over again. I love the idea of Jimmy Stewart as a band leader because it, it implies that he's got rhythm and swings. <laughs> And I love that about any phone. Well, on the on the two. Well, no, 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 come on, everybody. What's your club going on a Saturday night? You know I'm in the mood because I'm feeling just right. How's about a corner with a table for two? You know, like no, really. Yeah, uh, Steve Allen I dig more, obviously, because he was a musician. And, and whatever you want to say about Steve Allen, he was an innovator in so many ways. Absolutely what Jimmy Fallon and David Letterman do is, is, is what Steve Allen did. Uh, that's what he did to television, one. And two, uh, he had a hilarious crew on his show. Uh, Pat Harrington, who played Schneider in One Day at a Time. And, of course, the immortal Louis Nye, as well as Tom Poston. Those were his. That was his cast, man, and they were bitching. Uh, Tom Poston had the most deadpan delivery in the world I remember seeing. A sitcom in the 70s where he's a drunk and he goes into a bar and, and uh, they, they, or he goes into someone's house and like Bob Newhart or something, and he goes, "I don't have anything. I don't have anything to give you. I don't have any drink." And Tom Poston goes, "That's all right. I'll drink it from memory." 
It's fucking hilarious. And uh, uh, but Louis and I, they would do the, the Louis and I would be out on the street. That was the big joke they would always do on Steve Allen's show. Louis and I'd be the man on the street, and and Steve would go, uh, "We're going to throw it out to our man on the street, Louis and I." And he'd go, "Louis, how's it going out there?" And he'd go, "Hi ho, Steve Arino. I'm out here in Hollywood in all of its raging glory." <laughs> I thought it was fucking the campest, funniest fucking thing in the world. Uh, so that he wasn't there But uh, we, we did see The Sound of Music And it had Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer And they really were there and I was quite near them I did not touch them but I tried to And uh, I did take pictures of them creepily From a few feet away Which is uh, something that everyone should experience Because uh, my camera has the um, uh, uh, The Duran Duran girls on film sound So when I take a picture Yeah, you're all of a sudden you're in an 80's video And it's in black and white and you just did a rail And if you're a girl you're wearing stockings and no top And if you're a guy you're a douchebag And uh yeah, it goes. The next thing you want to hear is girls on film, uh, and uh, so it's horrible. And I don't know how to turn it off. And every time I use it, of course, it's in an intimate situation. And my wife will go, "Could you turn the sound down on it?" And I'm like, "So I do." But when you've already got the camera on and you press the turning sound down button, I'm sure it's called volume control. When you press the turn the sound down button, because I'm a four year old, I saw that thing that he is like a, it is an eat anter. Um, the, when you've already got it on camera Your phone that is And you press that button It simply takes a million pictures in a row Now you're Avadon uh, you, 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 You've transcended being an 80s douche And doing one quick You know like uh, Jay Giles Freeze frame bonk, bonk, You know whatever Instead now you're the Now all you can do is go Give it to me Make it hot Go Julie Go Go Julie Work Work Julie Work And um uh, so she heard me taking the picture And Jennifer said turn it down And I went okay And strafed Christopher Plummer uh, Who fortunately is cosseted in, in a bubble of well-earned self-interest And therefore cannot hear nor see anything Without a three-foot radius of his body um, He is within that shell of Plummerhood And quite right If you've ever seen Christopher Plummer in anything One thing you'll say about him over the years consistently is His acting's gotten uh, better as the decades have gone on He's become a much more keen character actor But secondly This is my humble opinion, by the way This isn't like a widely held consensus I, I think if you talk to film people They'd be like, no, he was always good This is just me, Greg Proops, the fucking I had to watch him when I was six And I'm still watching him, okay? I think I can weigh in on on this goddammit um, he was a little more brittle when he was young although always good hammy and, and fantastic in the movie Napo uh, Waterloo with Rod Steiger Rod Steiger plays Napoleon and uh, uh, Rod Steiger plays it like like he's New York Napoleon right like why didn't I think to tell Gushi you know like that's how he gives his lines and stuff <laughs> But Christopher Plummer's Wellington. And Christopher Plummer plays him like a total fop. So it's fantastic. He, he goes, uh, um, manual cannons. Uh, I'll have a volley from a draft. Uh, if you please, sir. Like that. That's how he's doing it. Uh, uh, so that's how he gives orders through the whole movie. Uh, we talked about Waterloo far too much. But Christopher Plummer is awesome in it. There's also a Roman emperor run. And I can't think of the bloody name of it. And he's Augustus or somebody. And he's got blonde hair in that one. They've dyed his hair blonde. And he's fantastic as a Roman emperor. What you want from Roman emperors is, as always, for them to be unbelievably upper class British guys who were clearly Rogered at school because that's how they always act right uh, I can't make up my mind whether to have two slave girls or just stick this 
inside a rhinoceros. You know, like they're always, it's always something so Baroque. And the truth is, they invented something. Hey, fuck you, turducken is the name of the dish. It was a roast ox with like a shoat inside it and then a sheep and then a fucking rabbit and then a bunch of birds and the last dish is sewed in live and, you know, when you open it, they all fly out and like that's the kind of Baroque shit the Romans got up to. Absolutely vile. And uh, um, um, cow's udders sewn together and stuffed with herbs and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So when you see them in the movies, uh, I always think about, ugh, the dinner parties would be fun. No wonder they drank so much. <laughs> they, however, called it symposium, like the Greeks did, which is a fancied-up word uh, to say we're going to get shit-faced, but we're going to lay here and talk about different topics, and that was what you were supposed to do. Like, like tonight's topic is poetry or whatever, or we're going to have a couple slaves come in and play some jams, and then we're all going to uh, drink out of a dish of wine. And, uh, and, and you, uh, there was like a drinks master, and he'd tell you how many you could have, and you know the pace the drinking went at and shit like that. Of course, this is all on paper. In practice, I'm sure it was as fucked up as a weekend with your friends, except your friends don't have togas with purple stripes around uh, the edge indicating their status and wealth. The other difference is no one comes to your house in the morning to petition you for favors. If you were a well-to-do Roman, you were like an agent. You just sat in a room. And yes, and there was an anti room, and that's where the receptionist sat who went, like, I'm sorry, your name is? And I was like, um, He's got an XXI o'clock. Uh, and like that. And so you were kept in the other room waiting, and you waited and waited, and then you went in, and he was your patron, right? And you kissed the ring and whatnot, and then you asked him for what you wanted, and then he, you delivered him something. Uh, ancient Rome is. Uh, Something I'm boring about, but uh, the one analogy that I will strike again and again is they reached a point in their uh, so-called empire. First, they were a republic, right? <laughs> and then, uh, then uh, Caesar kind of put an end to that, and then Augustus really put an end to it. But the point is this. Um, eventually, the Senate is just the most corrupt band of brigands ever, each pushing their own individual agenda while being paid by well-earned interests, right? And, uh, or well-heeled interests, rather. And they took mad money, and people basically bought their positions in politics. And that's the thing that seems so resoundingly familiar to now. Uh, because the quality of leadership plummets in inverse proportion to the amount of posts available for crappy money. You know what I mean? When you sell the Senate off cheap, you get Ted Cruz running for president. That's what you get. You get James... In a Hofi, however you say his fucking name, as chair of the uh, Committee on Ignorance or whatever, who brought a snowball onto the floor of the Senate. For real, this happened this year. And went, there's no global warming. There's fucking snowball outside and whatnot. Like, you know, it doesn't. Never mind. <laughs> global warming got branded early and wrong. It should have been called creeping climate change that'll fuck you over gradually. Uh, not global warming, because that's not what it is. And that's the key point that every you know, oyster head that opposes it. It, it snowed all winter, been a pair of winter. How could the world be warm? Why do they always talk like that? They don't. They don't. He does. In a Hofi talks that. How do you say his name? Does anyone know how you say his name? Good. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we saw of Christopher Palmer and Julie Andrews, and Christopher Palmer's absolutely stunning. Wolf is a movie that uh, Mike Nichols made that's not, uh, I don't think it's a grand achievement in cinema, but um, it's got Jack Nicholson, James Spader, and Christopher Plummer all playing creeps, and uh, that makes it worth it. The first hour is 
pretty creepy uh, as far as just not only are they like werewolf people or Jack Nicholson's a werewolf person and then everyone turns out to be because it had no plot. But uh, uh, they're New York publishing types uh, going at each other and trying to fuck each other over at their jobs, which makes them extra creepy monsters because uh, they're business monsters as well as monster monsters. And, oh, they sleep with each other's wives. I hope I'm not giving too much away about the plot of a movie called Wolf. I think if you call a movie Wolf and the poster is like a werewolf with Jack Nicholson on it, you pretty much got the picture of what's going to be taking place. It's not going to be in space and Lincoln's not in it. (laughs) Although I would like to see Lincoln in space as the next movie and I want it to be Matthew McConaughey so it can be like four score. (laughs) What was the astronaut one he did? What was it called? Intercession. Intercession? Interstellar. That means uh, in between stars. And... uh, In the preview, they'd always show him going, here we go. You're like, I'm not that confident you're going to save the universe. Bruce Willis and the one, uh, I don't want to miss a thing. The, the thing, uh, that, that one. Armageddon. Armageddon. Uh, yeah. As Magic Johnson pronounced it, Armageddon. Uh, that one was a, a, a terrible motion picture, but... If I call Bruce Willis on the phone, he's going to fucking save Earth. You know what I mean? Because he's right-wing and delusional enough to think that he can. And that's 90% of saving Earth. You know what I mean? I don't need your airy-fairy fucking soy candle bullshit. Uh, I need a dude who thinks he can kill aliens. Straight up. I mean, Kanu in The Matrix, yes. Because The Matrix required mathematical... Follow me on this mathematical dissembling and an utter embracing and denial of reality at the same time in order that you be one with the universe you're in so you could control the movements of literally physical objects as well as the timbre and temper of everything that was going on. That is not a case for Clint Eastwood or Sylvester Stallone. You know what I'm saying? You can't have one of your right-wing rock stars come in there and do this one. It's not a Sammy Hagar film. It's a fucking... Right? That's why at the end of The Matrix, whatever... Uh, I don't know what the closing theme is. No one remembers. Was it, it, no one remember, it was you know, one of those kind of male-sounding, thrashy, late 90s type of songs. You know, they go... You know, like, yeah, I know. No one thinks you're queer. <laughs> Easy with the shorts. Easy. And the taking the shirt off and hugging other guys a lot with tattoos. I get it. I get it. You're a male man and you're going to dominate. That's why they played that at the end, because it was that questing when he flies into fucking space. The question, of course, always remains. Uh, Matrix 1 answered all of the questions that could be answered, which was in so much as he has the power to now control his own matter. So he flies into space defying gravity, time, and every known law of physics. And then there's a sequel. Because evidently what he can do is not enough to topple the Matrix. There has to be a crappy sub-Burning Man party taking place in a very muddy room with a lot of white people wearing ill-advised dreadlock haircuts. If the future has nose rings, where is the antiseptic? If it's a post-apocalyptic world and you're living outside of the Matrix, where are you to buy fucking goods? No one explains that in post-apocalyptic movies, like where the bitch and leather boots get made. This is a question I have. Um, as my father used to say, uh, because this is, you can imagine me at eight. 
watching, say, a World War II movie or like a Jesus movie and having a question for every single moment of the movie. Like, what do you mean the procurator of Judea? Who the fuck is that? I don't know who it is. It's just, it's just someone who runs the, the countryside. Well, why is it called Judea? Because that's what Israel was called before it was Israel. It was called Judea? Why? Because they were Jews? No, it was just called that. This is every second of every movie. I remember because I watched Sahara a couple of weeks ago. Not the awesome Matthew McConaughey Sahara. <laughs> which uh, I think he's an archaeologist. Is it in that one? We're going to find some. And, uh, and Penelope Cruz is an anthropologist who's on there is the race of people the race of people and, uh, and Steve Zahn does the thing like I'm not stone but I'm pre-James Franco James Franco or whatever so you know uh, and nothing happens in that movie they're in a boat for a really long time at the end that's all I remember as I died I actually cut some of my limbs off during that movie and fed them to a nearby animal <laughs> In an, in an effort to stay awake. No, there's a Humphrey Bogart movie from, I guess, the war. Uh, and when I say the war, I mean, um, I mean the Falklands conflict. Uh, we've got to fight the Argentinians and beat them at their own game. If we lose the Malvinas, we'll never get them back. I'm not asking you to do anything I wouldn't do. Listen, sugar, you stay here. I'll take the boat out and see if I can... If I go via Easter Island, they'll never expect it. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart in Falklands. <laughs> Hold on a second. I think that's Dame Thatcher on the horn. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to do something rather dangerous. <laughs> You're going to have to put yourself in harm's way for the good of the empire. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, the World War II and uh, the big World War II and uh, it, Sahara has a great plot. Uh, they're a, a tank crew. They're an American tank crew and they're hard bitten. And uh, Bogey's the leader of the crew, of course. And they smoke a lot in the desert and they have no water, which is fantastic. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they go backwards in their tank and whatnot. It's really cool. And they run into another group and like they're looking for this watering hole. And they, so they, they pick up Various characters on the way, including a black colonial troop who speaks English, who's uh, uh, an Indian guy, uh, 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 an Italian guy who they don't know whether to be mean to because they're from New York. So, like, he's Italian. So they're like, well, we know you're kind of like with the Nazis, but fucking ride with us. I'm not kidding. It happens in the movie. He's like, hey, you know, and they're like, eh, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm fucking everyone on my block like this. I can't fucking make this guy. I can't. Put, you know what I mean? They don't. They finally put him in the cell with the German and the German is of course you advise you not to respect the third Reich we must try to escape from here in the Italians like look they've been nice to me uh, you know they let me have a cigarette you know come on you know <laughs> that part's fantastic so American uh, right because how many German Americans are there a billion my family spoke German uh, uh, surprise uh, they, they, uh, the, the FBI came to my father's uh, my grandfather's house uh, to uh, uh, interview my father when he joined the Coast Guard during World War II because we spoke German you know uh, I mean not every minute of the day and there wasn't a lot of you know but uh, it was uh, wrong side uh, uh, but uh, that's what makes me laugh it's like uh, is there a more American name than Schmitty right or Miller 
I mean, like, that fucking everyone's German. Um, uh, and as you know, the point of every Hollywood movie, uh, especially in the 30s and 40s, was that everyone in America is Scottish-Irish, and we all share that heritage, and therefore should cry at all their sentimental songs. <laughs> so in Sahara, they pick up all these people. So they've got a multi-ethnic crew with them. So now not only are we a tank crew emblemizing all that we're fighting for as the allies, right? Because now we've picked up someone from every race. The black guy turns out to be wildly useful and knows how to, yeah, finds, finds the fucking water. They don't die. They get water and they fucking give the Italian guy some, right? And the Germans like, mm, and they give him a little anyway because we're Americans. And in those days, right? Now we'd go, fuck you, right? And stuff his head in the fucking thing and stick a cigarette at him and put a prod up his ass and rectally force feed him. You know, all the things that we do to save democracy to make ourselves feel safe. And, uh, but in World War II, we didn't do that. Until the movie, uh, 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 what's the Tom Hanks one where he goes to look for the kids and... Uh, Saving Private Ryan, thank you. That one has American atrocities in it, and that's one of the first ones I can think of that's not a Vietnam movie where they show World War II atrocities, which really, I have to be honest, as much of an a, a anti-war person I am, I was upset by that. I was like, fuck you. How dare you show American troops shooting Germans until I remembered my dad said they used to shoot the Germans survivors from the U-boats and shit. And I was like, hmm, that's an interesting fact to learn, Dad. Thank you for making me love this country more than I already did. <laughs> and the crowd goes quiet. You know, there's nothing that says more comedy than telling World War II stories about shooting Germans and having the Constitution and the Bible on stage. <laughs> Another opening, another show. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Uh, yeah, those World War II stories are really rocking the house, Greg. What was your point about Sahara? Look, get off my ass is my point. When we watched the movie Sahara when I was little, my father, of course, any World War II movie we watch over and over again. And, and hilariously, Hogan's Heroes. The good thing about watching it... Yeah, my dad thought Hogan's Heroes was hilarious. I thought it was okay, but I didn't think it was that funny. But my dad would fucking cry laughing at Hogan's Heroes. And especially Schultz. Nothing like that. That was the comedy was so fucking broad. Uh, the Nazis were great on that show, though. Uh, General Burkhalter and um, uh, I've got, forgotten his name. The Gestapo Major Hochstetter. Yeah, because. Um, General Burkhalter had a Heidelberg dueling scar, weighed 300 pounds, wore the gray uniform, and had a monocle. They, they only stopped short of him having a spiked helmet and a white kitten in his lap to indicate the biggest Nazi of all time. And one that had clearly served in World War I, right? And he talked like this, clink, you idiot! He had a fantastic, fucking hilarious delivery. You idiot! And then uh, Colonel Clink would go, mess, mess, like he fucking dithered like nobody dithered. Oh, my God. There was a comedy Gestapo character. <laughs> wow. Taste was never a barrier. <laughs> so we were watching Sahara when I was little. And the Italian guy's there, and they, they have a discussion on the, on, the, on the tank. Should we pick him up? Should we not pick him up? And he's like, I surrender, you know, paisan, blah, blah, blah. And I remember bursting into tears and saying to my dad, they're going to let him die. And my parents finally went like, they're going to pick him up. And then they picked him up, and I was like, you weren't lying about that one. <laughs> this movie's pretty hectic, so you're going to have to stay with me through a lot of the, the torture and killing on this one. Uh, I don't want to spoil the ending of it, but uh, World War II, we win. 
although not necessarily in that movie. This is what I wanted to. I'm going to talk about the film festival a little bit more. We've got to, we're going to have to start the show at a certain point. I, I received some swag uh, from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And uh, I don't know if there's any fans of the TV show Whose Line Is It Anyway here, but I have, yeah, I have a baseball cap, uh, a coffee cup, and what appears to be a thing that you carry that water goes in. <laughs> It's got a giant white straw and a, a bizarrely a, a kind of a bottle cap handle. I don't. What it, does anyone know what this is? It's just a sports. It's a, oh, it's a sports water bottle. Oh, really? Um, what sport? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the douche sprint is a sport yet in the Olympics. Okay. Well, you can put it on your bike, or I don't know. You could hold it in your hand. It's it's highly suggestive, and it's also uh, almost horribly clinical in a lot of ways. I get graduated cylinder from this, and were I given it on the show with Wayne and I, or Brian and I, to stand there and do props, my first one would have been, um, "I'm afraid you drank the sample," and so. I just improvised that <laughs> to show you that it isn't all uh, made up, or it is all made up. I meant it is all made up, uh, ceaselessly made up. Anyway, I have these three things here, and uh, I'm giving them out. So whoever, who wants the baseball cap? I didn't think so. Uh, who wants the sports water bottle? Yeah, here, go ahead, hand it to the person who said yeah. And then I have a coffee cup here. Go ahead. There you are. Oh, Michael, yeah. Well, you can have the ball cap. You don't have to wear it. You know, you can just uh, put it in the trunk of your car in case you get lost in Death Valley. That's what I always do. Do you have a bag of shit in your car that's in case you get lost in the desert? I don't know why, but I remember reading a book once about someone who got lost in Death Valley and they died of no water and they drank antifreeze out of their tank. Even though how you would open up your tank to get the antifreeze out to drink it, I don't know. So I would die before that because it would be like, well, let's open up the radiator and drink the water out of the radiator. I'm like, where's the radiator? Uh, and how do you open it? Why would you open it? Isn't that what other people do when they service the car? You know, honest, hardworking people who have jobs. Uh, thank you for taking those. Uh, Whose Lines is going to be back on the air? And uh, we're on the CW now. So if you like vampires and uh, uh, um, people from space, uh, it's, it's an awesome uh, chance to see us again. Uh, a lot of people come up to me and say, uh, I really loved you on that show. And I'm like, you can still love me. <laughs> uh, hoodies are available. We have the Kitten Mixtavish. Hoodies are back in stock uh, in a limited run, of course. Um, each one has been signed. Uh, by Henry Moore, the sculptor. And uh, I don't know how much they are. They're not that much, though. Probably 25 or 30, I'm guessing. 25, something like that. They're nice, though. They're cute. I don't even have one, but I'm going to get one. Uh, and they say, Kittens McTavish, and then it says Raspberry Dons on it as well. Uh, yeah, oh, no. We, uh, and then uh, you can write me at fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. Uh, one errata and one correction from last week. I called James McNeil Whistler's, um, Whistler's mother. Uh, I think the proper title is a study in gray and black number... Arrangement. Arrangement in gray and black number one. Yeah. Uh, I called it a study in gray and black, so uh, you'll forgive me. And we can all go down with our lives, and uh, Whistler can move on. He's, they're going to be showing it here in Los Angeles at the Norton Simon, um, along with some Monet's. It's like part of, a, I think, a 19th century masterpiece show. Or is it already on? Oh, it's on now. Well, you can go there and see Whistler's mother if you want. Uh, and then you'll have something to talk about in the locker room. <laughs> What'd you do last night? I was with a busload of girls. What'd you do? I saw Whistler's mother. 
The proper name is arrangement in gray and white, number one. Uh, and you'll thrill everyone that you talk to, because no one's seen it. I've not seen it. I'd like to see it. I mean, not as much as I'd like to see, like, a whole bunch of Caravaggios in my home. Uh, if there's any art thieves out there that just want to give me one... Almost every piece of art I think you see in the giant museums is fake and has been copied and some rich person has it in their crib. I'm not kidding. When you see, when you watch that Davos conference every year, you know, the one that takes place in Switzerland that's surrounded by like the military and a giant cordon of helicopters and there's snipers everywhere because the rich are desperately afraid that someone's going to get a gun and shoot them for being rich. So they have this weird protected conference and all the financial uh, uh, media goes and it's like, these guys are the rock stars of money. And you're like, mm. uh, they're like the king of France right before is what they're like. You know what I mean? Let's be honest. Yeah, Let, let's let's get to the chase on this one. Uh, they're like King George, the one talking to birds and shit while the colonies put an army together. That's what they're like. Uh, I don't get that they're superstars who are making great decisions who are making the world fucking count. Uh, I get that they have no plan for the future at all. Otherwise, there would be a comprehensive way to give everyone water on Earth and to have everyone be able to take a shit somewhere and everyone to eat some food occasionally during their life. Uh, these things don't happen. So the idea that the people who gather in Davos are fucking getting it done on a private jet, man, and then fucking wow, and then a small cognac is the discuss the fucking financial matters of the day um no I don't care how fucking cozy it is and how many overly air conditioned suites there are and how many PhDs fucking have to bring you coffee uh you're still a douchewad with a lot of fucking money not making anything happen other than misery all over the world otherwise uh arms dealing wouldn't be so profitable and big and really the kind of the dominant thing that everyone has to think about all the time because everything else comes after making war uh instead if it had been strawberries at the beginning or something fun that we could all get behind fudge <laughs> How is fudge necessary for the world to move forward? Think about it. There's the world before fudge, and then now there's our world. Every once in a while, you'll get a walnut, and it'll shred the fucking soft palate of your mouth. That's going to happen. But it's a risk you have to take if you're going to bite into fudge. I mean, nibble tentatively is the name of my new album. Because if you bite heartily, you're risking massive tooth and fracture. You could lose a filling. Uh, you could crack a, a veneer. Any number of horrible dental things could happen to you. So start at the beginning and just around the front, you know, Willard style or whatever. <laughs> ben, the two of us need look no more. We both found what we were looking for With a friend to call my own Awesomely sung to a rat <laughs> The sequel to the movie Willard is the movie Ben And because the other rat Socrates gets killed by Ernest Borgnine I don't want to spoil anything <laughs> They're both very worth watching What is Willard, Greg? You take us back to a day and time we do not... We have no knowledge, Greg. What was the swirling, whirling ball of gas where black and white TV flickered furtively while the fire danced and those of you who knew got up and reenacted the hunt while wearing skins? What was it like in those days when the magic lantern was brought forth and the court of Louis XVI would all gape in wonderment as the universe swirled around them? Did something just fly in front of me? 
Everybody settle down. You can write me. I read them. Uh, I've been writing people back. Fan mail for... Oh, look, look how you're so proud of yourself. <laughs> Willard is a movie about Bruce Davidson as an actor who plays Willard. And he works in an office. And uh, Ernest Borgnine's his overbearing boss who makes fun of him. And he's, he's kind of effeminate. Like he's shy and whatnot. And, and uh, he, he meets this rat at the office. And uh, for real. And he, he names the rat Socrates, and then he meets another one named Ben, and they hang out, and then they come to his crib, and like he carries him around with him, and then like they form an army of rats that do his fucking bidding, baby. Uh, so fuck you, <laughs> Ernest Borgnine, because uh, one of the rats shows up, and it's Socrates, and the uh, lady sees it in the storeroom and freaks out, and fucking Borgnine goes in and kills the fucking rat, and then comes out and sweating, and it's like I killed the rat, and fucking Willard goes, ah, this will not stand. And his army of rats eats fucking Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> fucking true story. <laughs> not like, it, you know, that it happened. I just mean like what I just told you was true. <laughs> and uh, Ben goes on to have a sequel. And uh, it's pretty good. It's a fucking good movie. If you like rats... <laughs> rats are fun I mean you know I mean not like George Michael rats are natural rats are fun rats are best when they're one on one Kimmy 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 come on uh, I want your that would have been weird no rats are very clean and highly intelligent um, not in LA not the ones you see here I'm not saying when you're sitting at your crib and one runs across a telephone line and then a few minutes later a squirrel follows it, don't touch them. <laughs> don't go near them. They're vermin. Uh, you know, like a lot of people don't believe it, but in L.A. we have every manner of animal. We have, uh, if you watch the news here, we, we don't just live in Los Angeles, by the way, people listening in Proofcast land. We live in the Southland. That encompasses an area that goes roughly from Mexico to Santa Barbara. And anything that happens within this purview gets reported on L.A. News as if it happened to you tonight a little bit later. <laughs> right? Because they'll be like, you won't believe this footage of a bear that broke into a house while the children were there. And then, of course, you see it and they're like, in Snilus Nista tonight and you're like where the fuck is that and it's near nothing it's near Mammoth Lake or whatever that lake's called that's near a mammoth it's up there there's all these places that people go on the weekend that I would never go to because I know there's going to be a guy standing in front of the store wearing a Civil War hat and I don't need it <laughs> but there's lots of these places in LA there's all this open space here considering everybody lives cheap by fucking jowl in this town um, there's loads of uh, there's lakes and, and, and uh, uh, deserts and deserts with lakes in them uh, and lakes with deserts in them uh, there's coyotes in Hollywood you can see a coyote right here in Hollywood you don't have to go afield uh, mountain lions mm, I don't know what Sherman Oaks you can see a mountain lion in Sherman Oaks right <laughs> definitely at the Will Rogers State uh, what's that thing you know out of, uh, when you walk on the beach Will Rogers State Park Will Rogers was a uh, comedian uh, from the 1930s um, the difference between today and then of course was that he was salient <laughs> and uh, and humorous, unlike this show. And he, uh, he 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 was the one who said, "I never met a man I didn't like." And then uh, Lenny Bruce brilliantly said, "Wasn't it Will Rogers who said I never met a dyke I didn't like?" Um, 
there's a park named after him and it's his crib. It's a giant crib and a ranch and you can walk around and it's really fun. And um, I think sometimes there's mountain lions there and there's those hilarious signs. This is what I love about Los Angeles. There's rattlesnakes like on Grunion, Grunion, everybody calls it Grunion, on Grunion Canyon. It's Runyon Canyon and it's not named after Damon Runyon, which would have been hilarious. I am going to take a hike up a hill where there is no one living. When I get to the top, there is nowhere to get a drink of water. I am perplexed. Uh, down the hill again I go in my bicycle pants <laughs> it was Damon Runyon Canyon it would have been awesome uh, I got the dog shit here its name is Paul Revere right? like, but there's, there's snakes there I, I actually heard a story at, at my hair salon once about a man buggering another man in the bushes right off Runyon Canyon's path oh yeah uh, it's fun and, uh, and then when you get to the apex of Runyon Canyon, you can see uh, 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 um, the L.A. Observatory, Griffith Park Observatory, and, um, and then a wall of brown where the ocean is. That's the sky. Uh, unless the wind's been blowing or we've had the Santa Anas. But if we had the Santa Anas, then everyone's on edge. The, the thing about, I love about the theory about the things, the weather in L.A., the Santa Ana's put people on edge because it's a, it's a high-driving wind that's hot and horrible, and it makes everybody psychologically act really fucked up. But you'd never be able to tell if you were a visitor to L.A. the difference between high Santa Ana time and regular time because <laughs> everyone here drives like the movie Death Race 2000. There is no semblance of law on the road here and when I say semblance I mean semblance there is no nodding acquaintance with guidelines of human decency if someone is in a crosswalk and you stop people behind you will go around you and try to kill that person that is not a theory that's an inevitability if you come here and you and you come from a place where civilized people live you will be astounded at the driving here absolutely fucking astounded when you're passed on the right in a school zone when kids are in the cross walk oh yes you will oh yes you will oh yes you will I'm not afraid you would be you would be uh, we're wanted for the death penalty in 12 systems I'll be careful you'll be dead if you come to Los Angeles bring two things an SUV and an iron will to dominate. <laughs> when you get behind the wheel here, you have to remember two things. There's no law and you are the law. <laughs> so like if you need to go and it's red, fucking go. If you need to get over four lanes and there's cars ahead of you and behind you, just go. Just fucking do that thing. If you need to take a parking place away from a dead person and an old lady, fucking do it right now. Don't wait and don't even think about it and just fucking do it. Uh, that's how people drive here. They really, really do. And so the idea that there's human kindness still inside the people who, because all of us are thinking the same thing. Well, I don't fucking drive that way. And then think about yesterday. <laughs> yeah, when you wouldn't let a person back out of their driveway and you fucking speed it up and then you got to the stoplight and you honked because someone hesitated for two fucking seconds. Remember when you did that? Ding chow. Yeah, I just called you ding chow. <laughs> People who are listening in Belgium on light rail right now are like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, how I miss the wild boars. <laughs> how I miss Niels boars. We're here tonight. Uh, that seems patently obvious. 
what the fuck did I copy? <laughs> uh, we'll be uh, at the, uh, uh, we're going to show Raising Arizona at the Greg Proops Film Club at the Senate Family. Uh, that'll be Monday for you guys. It'll also, this uh, podcast comes out Monday. Those of you within the sound of my voice can come and visit us there. Uh, Jennifer picked it out, but it's a hilarious film. From 1984 by the Coen Brothers, starring Nicolas Cage. And this is before everything with Nicolas Cage. This is the beginning of it all. And he's so tremendously, fucking hilariously awesome in it. There's really no other way to put it. It's an astounding. Uh, I, they probably wouldn't like it, but it's a screwball comedy. It really is. It's breakneck and uh, it has hilarious music, um, wildly drawn caricatures of uh, um, hilarious hillbilly people. And it is altogether a satisfying cinematic. Seven stars, roller coaster, exhilarating. <laughs> Kidnap a loved one and sell them to the Turks if you must. But do what you can to be there on Monday. Uh, that'll be showing. And then um, uh, the, we're gonna, we did uh, Adam's Rib at the Greg Proops Film Club at the Turner Classic Movie Music Festival. Uh, we were right after Dean Martin sang Just in Time uh, by Comden and Green, and then we am. Um, uh, and I don't know when that one will drop, but the Serpico one is out right now. It's free. We showed that at the Cine Family last month, and Serpico still plays, baby. What a great picture. Um, the idea is you listen to the Greg Proops Film Club, then you watch the picture, and then you listen to the last five minutes, and in between, do what you like. Um, but you'll really never get over how sexy Al Pacino is. His body is a little hard going. That's all I'm saying. He's, he's short. Uh, but he's unbelievably sexy in the movie and it's such a right on movie and it's about police and the miscarriage of justice and that makes it fucking <laughs> you won't be asking questions you'll be forming a discussion group at your own home and having people over for long nights of making signs and smoking cigarettes and then going outside to smoke dope because there's kids in the house and whatnot. right about three in the morning one of you is going to go fucking I've got it Let's blockade Sunset and Orange. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is what happens when bodies start slapping. <laughs> then we'll be in Boston. That's right. Uh, um, April 9th through 11th uh, at Laughs, at Boston Laughs, which is a hilarious name for a club because it's a short, uh, descriptive sentence. Boston Laughs. <laughs> and how would Boston laugh? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Ask not how I might laugh. Rather, ask how you might make me laugh. Uh, who used to do that one? Was it a... No, that one, never mind. Uh, and then we'll be uh, April 23rd, uh, 22nd through 25th. Yes, I've gotten it wrong. Thank you for pointing out, people who tweeted me. Um, April, uh, April 22nd through the 25th, we'll be in Donvier, uh, Colorado, at the Comedy Works. The one downtown, the hip one. And uh, the 22nd will be the Proopcast that night. The 9th will be the Proopcast in Boston. Please come and visit us then. Uh, the Smartest Book in the World comes out May 5th. And uh, you, here it is there. Look, I have a hardbound edition. Um, it actually, I know, I got a pre-hardbound uh, copy. Jennifer did all the artwork. Uh, it, it looks really, it looks cool. Um, I'm, I, you know, I've read it. Uh, <laughs> parts of a drag for me but I mean for you I think it's going to be exhilarating uh, no I invite you to buy it you can pre-order it of course at gregproofs.com we're also going to be in New York uh, Brooklyn uh, Collegeville PA Philadelphia Chicago uh, Portland Seattle San Francisco 
uh, here in Los Angeles at Skylight Books and San Diego as well, doing podcasts and book events at all these places, as well as London. We'll be at the Soho Theater June 14th. So please come and visit us there, and I thank you for your time. I don't ask you to go to Start Me Up or whatever the uh, sites are. What? Start Me Up. The sites. What's, go go fund me or what is it called, you know, and all that. Kickstart, whatnot. Uh, because uh, I, I'd rather you listen to it for free. But if you want to buy the book, that would be fucking so awesome. And what a beautiful reinforcement of the bond between you and I. <laughs> I'm going to go to Davos next year and set up a little table outside of town because they will never let me anywhere near the inner sanctum and just have my book and be like, you too can be a billionaire. <laughs> and then what's the book about? And then I'll be like, 300 pages. <laughs> Uh, let's jump right in. It's a uh, poop over tonight and the first night of uh, Pesach. So welcome. Uh, <laughs> I was asked by Michael, a friend of the show. Did I realize tonight, of course, was what was going on religiously here in Hollywood? And uh, as usual, uh, with my attention to the religious calendars of all faiths. No, uh, I realize it now. Of course, uh, I once had a record release party on Yom Kippur here in L.A. So. <laughs> That'll give you an idea of how I'm down with show business. Uh, this is the Bible here. Uh, it doesn't have an author. Uh, it says, uh, Holy Bible placed by the Gideons in memory. That's all. And then uh, I think this is King James because it has all the these and thous and whatnot. Uh, if you desire to contact Gideons in this area, please consult the local telephone directory. All right. Uh, help in times of need. Well, let's just go through a couple. Maybe somebody wants to hear one of these. Uh, protection in time of danger. Courage in time of fear. Anything ringing in his bell? Uh, comfort in time of sorrow. Rest in time of weariness. Warning in time of indifference. Let's just see what that is. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 on page 1214. 1214. Wow, that's way in the back. Man, they're taking you back for this one. This is New Testament. Big time. And the whole crowd's gone like, are you really going to read from the Bible? <laughs> the show's free to download. <laughs> Night Vale's on. It's on all... No, 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 no. Do what you want. No, no, no. Exercise free will. Don't just fucking sit and judge. <laughs> Warning in time of indifference. Galatians five nineteen through 21. Uh, oh, it's, it's right before Ephesians uh, 5.19 through 21. Let's see. So that's six. So here we go. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. You thought this was going to be boring. And the first one we went to had unclean. Yuck. Fornication. I'm all for fornication. Adultery, I'm, I'm not for in any sense. I, I really, I'm very prudicious about that one. Uncleanness, ew, and barf. When Britney Spears had that freak out years ago, the worst part I didn't think was having the baby on her lap backwards while she drove 100 miles an hour down Robertson with a mochaccino. I thought everyone does that in Louisiana. Just, they just don't get busted for it. It was when she went into like, uh, uh, there was a gas station in Malibu and she went in with no shoes on to use the bathroom. And one of the German papers, I think it was Der Spiegel, uh, had the headline, Unhygienisch, with an exclamation point. I'm very, very serious. 
gross. Uh, and then it carries on. This is Galatians 20. By the way, this was supposed to be warning in time of indifference. Didn't you think it was going to be a little more clap on the back? Hey, pick yourself up and let's get going. All, with all those around you, you know, Kipling and whatever, or fail, and you, 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 you can keep your head on. Now I'm Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now. With all, you can't land on a fraction, man. I mean, how do you land on one fifth, one eighth? And without Jack, I am out of here. Um, I, I just turned into that, but I, I thought it was going to be a little peppier. But this is what Galatians 19 through 21 is. I'm going to go back to 19 because I think we need to hear that one again. <laughs> now, the works of the flesh are manifest. That means they are multiple and many. Uh, and the works of the flesh, if you speak Bible talk, that means the bad things of the flesh. Whenever they say flesh, they don't normally mean uh, an orgasm is a great thing to have. And that's why God gave it to us so that we would continue to propagate or uh, that uh, 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 loving someone is, is, is an exultant emotion, whether you're queer or trans or whatever the fuck you are, that just the love of another human being is almost enough to make the world fucking seem like the right choice. Right. That, that, the, the flesh. Flesh gets a bad rap in the Bible, <laughs> but the flesh can get high and the flesh can masturbate. The flesh can do a lot of fun things. Flesh can watch movies and shit. Am I right or am I right? Flesh can read books. Think about it. <laughs> now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these semicolon bullshit. You know what? King Jame. Uh, these are written by Hebrew prophets well after the fact and probably copied down in Greek and probably translated several times from Hebrew to Greek and then from Greek to English and blah, 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 blah. Really a semicolon? <laughs> Who's fucking zooming who? I've seen the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, I'm not like a prophet. I'm saying I was at the museum in Chicago and they've come to LA and you can see them. They're not all of them, but some of them and they're tiny little pieces of parchment and there's little scribblies, you know, Hebrew writing on them and whatnot. They're fascinating. They're absolutely fascinating. And of course they're translated for your, you know, uh, um, illumination and whatnot. Um, but I've seen the Dead Sea Scrolls and then I looked at them and I poured over them as close as I could get through the uh, barrier of glass and whatnot and the distraction of the fact that there was a Tyrannosaurus in the next room at the university or at the museum in Chicago and that was pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> which is named Sue, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Um, that was the dinosaur's actual name when they found it. It was wearing a bracelet that said Sue on it. <laughs> and uh, I didn't see any semicolons or exclamation points or parentheses uh, at any point uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, adultery, fornication, and uncleanness. Awkward, that. Un uncleanliness? Uncleanness? Really? Mm, okay. Lasciviousness. I'm rewriting the Bible here, by the way. <laughs> No, I didn't mark in it. I'm too chicken shit. What do you think's going to happen, Greg? It's Easter weekend. Let's not take any chances. I'm taking the Buddhist point of view. Everything is everything. And everything's happening right now. I d Here's number 20. Galatians 20. 520. I d Although we should probably read 420 just to see what's there, man. So I can go back to 420 and see what's Galatians 420. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. 
dude, that was a brain drainer. You went to 420, and it was like totally what I was thinking. I was sitting in the audience thinking I could never be as smart and funny and canny and well-dressed as you. And there you were reading from the Bible. It was as if it was about you. That was supposed to be a joke, you guys. Greg's crowd thinks that Greg's ego has gone completely out of control. He held up a hardbound edition of his own book and a softbound edition of the Bible. It's not softbound, it's hotel-bound. How about when you go to hotels and there's a Book of Mormon 2? You ever, do you open the drawer? Does anyone open the drawer? No, you guys don't open. Do you? Do you? Someone went, oh yeah. You, the drawer next to your bed in the hotel, if you open it, sometimes, especially if you're in a smaller place, will we'll have a phone directory, which you can scoff at all you like, but that's where the pizza menu is. Thank you. And uh, this is life on the road, uh, because this is, you have to learn these things. Uh, these things you shall learn. Uh, I believe it was the group... Uh, I almost said Blues Traveler. I can't fucking believe I said it. I almost said the words Blues Traveler. I said it twice now. Canned heat is who I was reaching for in my fucking dolorous haze. Because canned heat said several things. One, they said, if you ever see the movie uh, Woodstock, that's how the movie starts. Can't heat, man. They're groovy. Like, they're a white guy blues band. They get a fat lead singer with a beard and shit. And, and he sings like this. But their greatest song is, in my opinion, On the Road Again, which I don't think I have. I don't think I have On the Road Again. Do you have a computer there? No. You know, Chris Hardwick is probably the most wired-in tech guy in the history of the universe. <laughs> Chris started this place, and this is, of course, uh, the nerd melt uh, at the epicenter of Hollywood. And yet, the one thing they don't have backstage during a show while we're recording a podcast, which is, of course, the most forward-thinking and leaping headlong into the new millennium, heedless of people's bourgeois, petty, old-time radio and TV mores bound about their neck like a fucking lead albatross. <laughs> made of plutonium that's two things it can be both it's an alloy of plutonium and manganese manganese is an alloy whatever there's no computer backstage so that someone could fucking whip out canned heat Normally I dance to music, but it's hard to dance to Can't Heat. But I'm going to attempt to do the dance that you would have seen were you at a Can't Heat show in 
have On the Road Again? Did you find that one? It's Can't Heat Still, but On the Road Again is the name of the song. But you heard what his voice sounded like. Up country, where the water tears like wine. Clear your throat. <clears> throat> Run up the country. <laughs> It's a great song. Do we find on the road again? Thank you, baby. Number 20. Galatians 5.20. Remember, we just had lasciviousness. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. That is the sum total of Galatians 5.20. And that is supposed to give you, what was it? Warning. Warning in time of indifference. You ever feel like... This brings me back to opening the drawer next to your bed. On the one hand, you'll find this. If you're in Utah, you're going to find the fucking Book of Mormon. Or if you're in Nevada or Arizona, anywhere where there's lots of LDS. Where? Marriott. Uh, Mary, Mary, oh, is it Marriott that always has it? Yeah. And then sometimes Hilton has Conrad Hilton's book, which is fantastic. And like, all you can think of is, but Paris and Nikki are the ultimate fucking payoff. And the, the guy that went crazy on the plane, who's, the, who's that brother, the idiot brother? I don't even like the blues that much, but this is a fucking... Right? Believe me, every time you get on a bus or on a plane, and when you're on the road all the fucking time, these cornball songs like On the Road again come into your brain and you're like, fuck yeah. I don't have a gold tooth or nothing like John Lee Hooker, you know what I mean? I'm not... I'm not... <laughs> or a thousand tie clasps or whatever. I can't, I can't warrant that, but um, uh, you do. What, and then what's the other one? Um, is it uh, traffic or spirit? It's traffic, right? Because I'm gone, gone, gone. I don't know. It's where I'm from. I'm on the road again. You know, that was a super hippie, super like British hippie, like a highfalutin, high class rock star, coked up fucking jam from the 70s. It's very good. L.A. to London's a mighty long time. Yeah, right? Because I'm gone. Uh, number 21. We've had idolatry and witchcraft, by the way. I have no idea what variance is, but I think I can guess. Emulation means imitating other people, but in this case, I think it means something far worse than we could even bother to construe in, uh, in light of the Bible. Uh, Galatians 5.21. Envyings, murders, drunkenness... Cheers. <laughs> Revelings and such like, colon, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in pa- time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. I think that those who revel will, because Jesus and Dionysus have far too much in common uh, for them to be uh, any kind of coincidental bullshit here. Uh, let's see. Uh, because it's Easter, uh, I was going to crack out the Bible and read a couple. But I think that 
I think that the best part of the Bible is the Beatitudes, which, of course, I can't find here. But here's a part of John. Uh, John's supposed to be so poetic and stuff, the most poetic book. And it, it covers all of Jesus as much as Jesus gets covered in the Bible up to the crucifixion and all that. Um, and this is Jesus talking. Uh, and this is uh, John 13:34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this all men know that you are my disciples, and you have love one to another. Boy, that doesn't sound that familiar uh, when you hear Christians on TV right around this week. Uh, it's been a tough week for Christianity. Uh, what with Indiana and all that jazz? Uh, and um, people passing laws that allow them to discriminate based on their own religious beliefs. Um, that seems like a terrible uh, misusing of the Bible. Now, I could be accused of cherry picking, uh, which uh, people, of course, always do in the Bible. They pull the quotes that suit their needs. Uh, I've already pulled my quote, which was witchcraft, fornication, adultery, <laughs> variance, and reveling shall not get the end of the kingdom of heaven. So know that by listening to the show... Um, it may go a little rough for you in the afterworld. <laughs> well, you can always see the sun. A little day, day, a night, night, night. So when the elevator tries to break you down, when you call out that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, doctor, everything will be all right. <laughs> go crazy one time. Uh, this is, the, I think... Uh, I think the all-star part of the Bible. This is Matthew 5. Uh, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those which, uh, which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, blessed are the peacemakers. Nowhere does it say, blessed are those who don't make peace, those who make war. Jesus, if he's so important to so many people, uh, could be observed a little bit more, don't you think? In a week where uh, John Kerry, who I'm not, you know, I voted for John Kerry for president. I don't think he's the worst choice for secretary of state ever. Uh, he, he accomplished something pretty wild this week. A little truce with Iran is not a bad thing in American history. No matter what everyone screams and stamps their feet and tells you, um, negotiation is the alternative to what we see all around us, if you know what I mean. If the alternative to negotiating with Iran is more people dying and bombs flying and money being thrown in all directions and more bullshit assayed, then I'm all for negotiation. If that makes me a lily-livered, peacenik, bleeding-heart, liberal, uh, queer-loving, homosexual, swirling vortex of baby-killing celebrity, uh, so be it. <laughs> I'm not going to say the Bible backs me up. The Bible does whatever it wants. I think you found that to be true. Uh, all religious texts do whatever they want. I'm just saying that uh, that has to be looked at as a small victory. Uh, even if it's a media construct and even if it's just two gigantic capitalistic states coming together to acknowledge each other, um, whatever the reasons are, with the distemper 
discord and utter chaos uh, that's infiltrating all through Central Asia and uh, the Middle East. Um, it's nice to have at least one moment where two people sat down at a table and went, maybe we shouldn't kill each other. Uh, and like that. Uh, okay, the show's over, but here's the point. <laughs> Really? You read for the Bible that long? The last time I read from it a couple years ago, I remember, was because uh, when Jesus dies, it says in the Bible uh, that the, the dead got up and walked into town. And that part's really flippy. Like, you're reading the Bible, you know, he, the moment he's dead, and he's not long on the cross, my friends. Most people, uh, uh, when they were crucified, stayed up there for days. Days. Jesus is a singular case. Uh, what is it, six hours or something like that? It's not long. It's not long. Uh, most people are there for a long time. And he uh, gave up the ghost, as they say, uh, uh, quickly. And uh, wow. I just remember being in a hotel a couple years ago and watching, what's that Mel fucking Gibson movie? The last, uh, what's it called? The Passion. I thought someone just said, and that was the funniest thing. I thought someone just said, The Trial and Confession of the Christ. <laughs> Then it would have been a German movie from the 80s. <laughs> the Trial and Confession of the Christ by Volker Schlondorf. <laughs> Chapter 1. The Confession. <laughs> if you want uh, a, a, an amazing rendition of the trial, uh, uh, The Master and Margarita by Bulgakov has a tremendous chapter in the beginning where the whole scenario is laid out and Jesus is brought in and Pilate's there and Pilate's got a migraine and he can't, he's not patient and, and he calls him magician the whole time. And, uh, so magician, you're going to burn the temple and Jesus gives him some glib answer and he says to the centurion, take him outside and the centurion, bam! Now get up. And when you get back in there, hegemon, that's what you call him. No more sass. And that, that makes it, that gives it that literary reality that makes it more present. You know what I mean? No, Greg. <laughs> You're raving now. Too many chocolate bunnies. When will the ceaseless killing of the chocolate bunnies end? That's what this program would like to know. It's come to my attention that thousands and thousands of peeps, both yellow and pink, are being consumed during this holiday season. Peeps that have done nothing to society other than be cute and adorable and be hideous, uneatable marshmallow treats with indigestible eyes that break your fillings. It's come to my attention that children are being fed these through the holiday season and also swallowing shards of green, horrible plastic grass that they shit out and has to be pulled out of their bodies. And the opinion of this show... Uh, here's what... Let's just start. Uh, we're going to jump right in. Oh, we already did that part, but we'll go to this. Boring preacher part, we're going to go as fast as we can. Uh, we have exactly four minutes. No, I'm joking, of course. We have as long as we want, man. There is a show after, is there not? Yeah. Yeah. I heard your answer both times. <laughs> Um, do I look like I dance for the fucking man? <laughs> yeah. Fuck to the you to the fuck to the you you. Yeah. Yeah. Attica. 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 The day I leave, because there's another show coming on. I'm going to put my book 
right next to the Bible. <laughs> and I'm going to put the Constitution on the other side. And I'm going to put Kittens McTavish on top, dry humping him. <laughs> I've never felt so fulfilled. <laughs> uh, we've been talking a lot about the inequity between the rich and the poor in this country, and us and everyone else. The reality is strikingly different. Um, I went on a, a thousand websites today to research this. Um, um, this is a, a giant survey that's been done. The top 20% of U.S. households own more than 84% of the wealth. The bottom 40% combined for a paltry 0.3%. The Walton family, that's Walmart, has more wealth than 42% of American families combined. In our ideal distribution, the top quintile owns 32% and the bottom two quintiles own 25%. I don't know who came up with that nutty bag thing, but there you are. As the journalist Christian Freeland put it, and this is where I wanted to go. Americans actually live in Russia, although they think they live in Sweden, and they would like to live on a kibbutz. <laughs> that is fucking hilarious. <laughs> Norton and uh, Ariali, those who, who conducted the um, um, study, found a surprising level of consensus. Everyone, and even Republicans and the wealthy, wants a more equal distribution of wealth than the status quo. Um, it's a scandal what's happened. Uh, uh, in this country with the redistribution of wealth and that the wealthy are able to contain and hold on to every dime that they ever make and um, never pay taxes, never pay Social Security. And it, it's ruining uh, the United States. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it is. And we know it is. And, and it can be stopped. And, uh, and how? Um, because the government, once again, has to not belong to them. But we'll get to that. Uh, we're not stopping it tonight, but we're going to stop it. Uh, Jane McManus, this is from uh, ESPN. Jennifer gave me this today. Former Conference USA uh, official Sarah Thomas is set to become the National Football League's first female full-time official. The Baltimore Sun tweeted on Friday, LA Times reported Thomas would be among eight new officials for the 2015 season. We have mixed feelings about the National Football League, and we go back and forth, of course, all the time. Being a football fan, as I am, and especially a 49ers fan, but also realizing that the NFL is the largest conglomeration of asshat, white, fucking, fuckstick, fascist, assholes that don't care about the physical um, uh, punishment that their players take or uh, the, that the wives that are beaten. You know what I mean? There's a whole ball of wax I don't even want to open here. Let's just say this is a step forward. Um, technically, replacement referee Shannon Easton was the first woman to officiate an NFL game during the 2012 lockout, but breaking that barrier wasn't why Thomas got in the game, she told ESPN in 2013. I've never set out to be first, and that hasn't changed. I do this because I love it. She's a mother of three. She got her start in officiating when she accompanied her brother to meeting for people interested in calling football games. I think it's fantastic. Uh, and the next step, of course, is uh, that women uh, be allowed to officiate in every sport, all the time, everywhere. Um, yeah. And not only that, as I've said before on the show, um, they need to play professional baseball alongside my beloved baseball players. Football, a mm, little bit tougher call on that one. But, uh, but uh, uh, why should women be eliminated from anything and have their own separate but equal leagues? It's so fucking bullshit. And in, in baseball, you got to be fucking kidding me. Let's see here. Anti-choice protesters terrorize Mississippi community. Jennifer gave me this. It's from a, a reproductive health website. We talked about this. Uh, it's the last standing uh, clinic in uh, Mississippi that performs abortions. Anti-choice activists staged a protest that was last week, uh, Sunday, that included a large graphic images outside of Jackson, Mississippi during the Palm Sunday services. Uh, the protest reportedly angered many churchgoers and local residents. 
Reverend Ricky James Pastor called it, the actions of anti-choice protesters are an example of deceit and hate. Deverne Gaines, director of the National Clinic Access Project, told RH Reality Check, that's the website, Reproductive Health Reality Check, that anti-choice groups OSA and AHA AHA, have coordinated in an effort to target them. They formed a strategic alliance to terrorize the Jackson community. Uh, They have uh, events there to protect themselves. Um, People were outside the church screaming at everyone and and showing pictures of aborted fetuses. And this is what they think um, they need to do. Um, When the reality is, as I've said on the show a million times, Mississippi has millions of people. Uh, I have a good deal of family from Mississippi. Mississippi uh, is an important state in a lot of ways to the United States. It's also a very poor state. And the people who live there have a lot of different belief systems. But one thing I think we can all agree on is that women don't need to die having illegal abortions and that uh, access to reproductive health is imperative at all times and that people protesting like this is nothing but destructive and in the very, at the very least destructive and at the very most cruel, way cruel. Yeah. Out of line and doesn't help the situation. Um, targeting houses of worship for protest is nothing new for OSA. In New Orleans, the group staged a protest inside the First Unitarian Universalist Church, interrupting a memorial service for a church member who had recently died. The anti-choice protesters denounced the denomination and referred to the church as a synagogue of Satan. That covers two bases for me. Because <laughs> that's straight up anti-Semitic. And it's straight up anti-women. Um, uh, in any case, Cal Zastro, I was saying I wasn't going to say the names of the anti-choice groups because they call themselves pro-life, but I'm going to say their names because one must know and embrace um, the people that you're up against. Uh, Cal Zastro, who can be seen in the video holding a large graphic image, has been heavily involved in the anti-choice movement. He's long associated with OSA. Um, that's the big anti-choice group in Mississippi. Last year was one of four anti-choice activists who faced criminal charges. The charges were dropped, but three other anti-choice activists were convicted of obstructing the sidewalk. Um, a recent report found threats of violence against abortion providers have doubled since 2010. Here's the good part. You can give them money if you like. Your $10 tax-deductible contribution helps support our research, reporting, and analysis. Um, a schedule an interview with Teddy Wilson. Let's see here. Uh, Rachel Perone at Rachel at rhrealitycheck.org. And that's where you can go. You can email her there. You can give money to that cause if you wish to support them in New Orleans. Um, Teresa Fedor is a, a representative in Ohio's um, Senate. Not the National Senate, but the State Senate. And she got up the other day and spoke about her own abortion experience. And one of the people on the floor laughed uh, and was chatting during her speech. And this is a, a commentary from the, <laughs> the Toledo Blade by Mr. Keith C. Burris. Oh, yes. We dignify everybody, baby. I have admired State Representative Teresa Fedor for a while for her lonely and forward-thinking work on human trafficking, because that was the bill she was talking about. Ohio, as you know, has been a hotbed of many things. One, uh, forward-thinking in so much as Dennis Kucinich, who ran for president, came uh, from a blue-collar neighborhood in Cleveland. They also uh, were pivotal uh, in the election of Bush versus Kerry uh, when they closed their counting house and uh, wouldn't let the media in, even though in America we have open and free elections where the media is allowed to watch them count the ballots. Uh, you may remember um, the commissioner voting uh, closed it because of uh, national security reasons. And uh, 
the election was turned and Ohio was called early for Bush. And that was the end of that. So I think Ohio has a lot to, well, answer for, but also say about the national dialogue. And they're not, you know, um, Jennifer and I were talking about today. I often go to the South and I often go to the Midwest and I'm as guilty as anyone else of making fun of everyone uh, from the Midwest and the South for being uninformed. But the truth is that people are people everywhere you go and that there's as many uninformed, stupid, uh, 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 parochial people in Los Angeles as you'll find in any town, as well as, yeah, as well as informed, hip, cool people. And that when you go to uh, Atlanta or uh, Kentucky or wherever you go, um, you'll find lots of people who are very sensitive uh, and, and hip to the jive. And it's just, a, it's just a matter of understanding that location has a huge influence on what's going on. For instance, Indiana this week or places where they feel like in the Bible Belt, it's real important to reemphasize Christ because they see the world running away from them. And it, and, and, and it sets off something inside them that makes them afraid. And therefore, they have to enact all these laws that try to bring back what they think society should be to them. Uh, whereas the rest of us, of course, are kicking and screaming and thinking, haven't we all done this long enough? Um, can't we all just fucking get down with the fact that women should have every right that men should have and that uh, uh, gay people and transgender people, that LGBT people, that, that it's all one big um, melange and that uh, we all have to respect one another at all times. And, uh, but you can't. You can't. It's a long uphill process. And you have to, um, as Jesus would say, well, as the Bible would say, first of all, fucking have no truck with witchcraft and variance. <laughs> we will have no variance at this show. <laughs> you don't respect my reason, my rape, my abortion. And I guarantee there are other women who would stand up with me. That's what she said on the floor of the Ohio Senate. She called out one male legislator who was talking and laughing as she spoke and laid it on the line. What you're doing with Bill 69 is so fundamentally inhuman, unconstitutional, and I've sat here too long. And this is the part that I thought was good. Well, all of it's fantastic. I dare you to walk in my shoes. And that's what men have to understand. Men have to understand that women are going through another bag entirely and that we have to be empathetic toward that. And never mind, as I've said a million times on the show, your mother, your sister, your wife, your girlfriend, your significant other, all the women in your life that venerate and uh, that you venerate and adore, that you couldn't live without, that are your support system, um, are, your, or, are the reason for your being. Uh, never mind that you were given birth to by a woman, which you owe the fucking world for. Uh, never mind that even. Um, just as a human being on a simple, basic level, uh, you have to understand that... Uh, uh, and I've been given notice of this uh, in many ways in my life. Uh, rape is a trigger word and that you mustn't use it lightly. And that uh, um, what she's talking about, her rape and her abortion are wildly personal. And that for guys to laugh at it, particularly politicians, is not just wildly insensitive. It's kind of a violation of the most basic human tenets of decency. And therefore, one must be mindful of these things uh, and like that. And I think that that's the next frontier is getting more and more people to understand that that's what's what and not what came before. It's not cool anymore to do what you done did. And it's not cool to be sexist and it's not cool to be misogynist and it's not cool to be, you know, fattest and, and obviously it's not cool to be racist because that's just pure ignorance. But with women, it's even more elemental because it has nothing to do with race. 
um, women are of every race and men are of every race. So therefore, it behooves us to start at that basic fucking level. Um, this got way more fucking Easter than I intended it to. <laughs> Talk left. Judy Clark, How to Save a Life. Jennifer gave me this. Uh, Vanity Fair has an excellent new profile of Judy Clark. My favorite line, and it's not an exaggeration, Judy Clark is an advocate. She defended Susan Harris, the woman who uh, murdered her children, and she uh, got Susan Harris off of the death penalty. Her record, her record defending the indefensible speaks for itself. Among those who want capital punishment abolished in this country, Judy Clark is the most effective champion in history. Uh, Judy Clark is working now defending... Let's see here. So I pronounced their names correctly. Um, how do you say his name? Sarnayev? The Boston Bombers. The Sarnayev jury to spare Jahar's life. But if anyone can do it, she can. It says in this article here on Talk Left. Um, she defended Susan Harris and she got Susan Harris' life, um, uh, uh, or death sentence commuted uh, to a life sentence. And uh, I know we've talked about it on the show before. And I was talking with Michael outside about a, a various topic on another issue. And you have to remember that the countries that have the death penalty are Saudi Arabia, Iran, and China. And you don't want to be in that neighborhood. <laughs> For America to be in that neighborhood is disgusting. Uh, secondly, um, giving the state the power over life and death of people with a faulty judiciary system and fucking errant uh, you know, uh, prosecution of the law and, and, and completely corrupt uh, lawyers and judges sitting around is not a recipe for success. Uh, the death penalty is uh, anything but a penalty. It's a summary execution of justice that it shouldn't exist in this day and age, especially when other enlightened countries have eschewed it and that we want to stay in the past in the dark um, with those other countries. Anyway, if you want to read that article, it's in Vanity Fair about Judy Clark. Uh, Michael Moore uh, wrote an article for The Nation. Uh, Michael Moore is a mixed bag for me, but I thought this was quite funny. It, 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 the, uh, the title of the article is, If Elected, I Will Serve. <laughs> it's the 150th anniversary of The Nation magazine, and he wrote a couple of things uh, about his platform if he was president. I'm going to hit a couple of them, and then we're going to fuck off. Uh, I will sign legislation that will lower the voting age to 16. A teenager who can die for his or her country at 18 should have a say in just what and who they will be sending them off to war. Number three, if there's a call for war and we're to invade another nation, I will declare as commander in chief, the first to be sent into combat must be the conscripted adult offspring of all members of Congress, the president and the president's cabinet. And then in order, the children of the CEOs of the Fortune 500, all military contractors and the top media executives. I couldn't have said it better myself. This should reduce the number of wars considerably. I will make available free HBO for everyone. I will forgive all student debt. We'll go back to a system of work-study grants, scholarships, and minimal interest-free loans. College in America, as in many other countries, should essentially be free. I'll reduce the, and th this one I love, and that is absolute truth. I'll reduce the Pentagon's budget by 75%. That will pay for the above free college and most of my ideas that will follow. We will still have one of the biggest militaries in the world and the ability to blow it up many times over, just not as many times as before. <laughs> you can read this on The Nation. You can read it on the web. It's very good. Um, I think Michael Moore is right on with this because... What we talk about all the time on the show, 
And what gets so depressing is, of course, the overwhelming onslaught of the fact that the status quo and all that shit. But the fact that we're batting these ideas around at the very least uh, uh, shows a a, a nice spirit. Uh, In any case, um, number eight, the universal health care will include free mental and dental. And number seven, all Americans will get the same free health plans that members of Congress have access to. The wealthy will pay the same percentage in Social Security tax on their entire income as every middle class person. Right now, those who earn over 118.5 pay zero Social Security tax. We will return to the income tax rates that existed when that great Republican Gerald Ford was president. No need to take it back to the Eisenhower days when the wealthy paid more than 90%. Take me to the last Republican before Reagan when the elites paid around 70%. When in doubt, do what the Canadians do. A near ban on handguns and semi-automatic weapons, an eight-week election season, a return to the paper ballot, no pharmaceutical ads on TV, strict banking and financial regulations, a refusal to eliminate civil liberties after terrorist attack, trade with Cuba, reduce the number of downs in football to three. I agree with all of those things. Pharmaceutical ads on TV, strict banking and financial regulations would change everything. In this country, everything. And that means not letting the banks and the financial institutions write the laws. Um, Here's a goodie. A moment of Zen. And this one made me like Michael Moore more than I've liked Michael Moore. I like him more than I liked him before when I didn't like Michael Moore as much as I like him more. All students shall learn cursive writing. Don't take away the one thing we can all do that's unique to each of us. It's our creative fingerprint. We are not machines. To write longhand allows our soul to find its way out and to be seen as ours and ours and only ours. The world is a cold and harsh enough place as it is. Why take this little personal human piece away from us? Who doesn't like getting a handwritten note? Um, I thought that was amazing for him to say. Uh, and really beautiful. We're going to skip Chupet Lagerfeld this week. We'll come back to that one in the next one. And we're going to skip this one as well. And we're going to skip that one. And we're going to go to uh, Cynthia Lennon uh, passed away. Before we do Cynthia Lennon, I'm going to talk about one other woman that passed away. Sarah Brady, the wife of James Brady. James Brady was President Reagan's secretary. He was shot in the assassination attempt by the maniac who shot four people that day. Uh, None of them died, but... um, Let's see here. Uh, my name is Sarah Brady, and you've never heard of me. I'm going to make it my life's ambition to put you all out of business. That's when she phoned the NRA headquarters in 1985. Sarah Brady was a lifetime Republican. She wouldn't vote for Herbert Walker, and she wouldn't vote. She voted for Obama, and she voted uh, against Herbert Walker because she couldn't dig their lobbying. Her husband, James Brady, was shot and paralyzed, and she had to help him recover. She nursed him back to health and became a vehement anti-gun advocate. What she wanted were background checks and some sanity in the gun argument. It wasn't her husband's shooting that led Mrs. Brady to call the NRA. The turning point for her activism came four years later when their six-year-old son Scott found what he thought was a toy gun and pointed it at his mother. She told him never to point a gun at anyone and when he handed it to her she found to her horror it wasn't a toy but a fully loaded twenty-two, similar to the one used to shoot her husband. The maddest I've ever been in my life. I was livid. She grew into a determined foe of the NRA, one of the most powerful lobbying organizations in the country. During a 92 appearance, uh, 
Many bust from California. The heckling started early, and at nearly every point, Mrs. Brady's remarks were refuted with shouts of liar, liar. In 1990, the NRA chief lobbyist, James J. Baker, conceded she had been very effective. He qualified his comments, noting that her influence in the gun control debate was based on emotion. Sarah Brady is swirling in the heavens tonight and deserves nothing but honor and praise from us for being someone who looked the situation in the eye and did what she needed to fucking do and what this country needed to do. And if you want to go online and look up her editorial, it's on the Huffington Post. It's from 2012. She talks about how sick she is of people talking about the nonsense in this country about the gun argument and how strict Rules are needed immediately. And that it doesn't happen because, as I discussed at the top of the show, we live in the Roman Empire where the NRA is well-funded and the senators are scared to do what they need to do. Cynthia Lennon, uh, I would cue up, hey Jude, where are you? Cynthia Lennon passed this week. She was John Lennon's first wife before Yoko Ono. We, of course, venerate Yoko Ono on the show and read her poetry and think she's an artist of some magnitude and that John Lennon elevated himself in a lot of ways by marrying her because his consciousness was raised. This is the wife that he was with before his consciousness was raised when he was a beetle and uh, the fame went to his head and he wasn't necessarily as nice as he might have been. I'm putting it very diplomatically. Uh, however, she was an artist and a, a beautiful person and a very witty person in her own right. Cynthia Lennon, who, uh, let's see, uh, if you want to go online on the Daily Mail site, there's a wonderful video uh, that Julian posted uh, that's a montage of her and uh, all the parts of her life and a song about her. And I, I dare you not to bawl uh, when you uh, watch it. Uh, the Lennons met at art school and married in 62 when she became pregnant with Julian. After a rocky marriage that saw Lennon's staggering rise to fame, Cynthia divorced him in 68 over his adultery, most notably with Yoko Ono, whom he later married. She was pretty, witty, and bright. She adored art and attended a junior art school from the age of 12. Describing her relationship with Yoko Ono, a freezing day in Moscow before the Cold War ended. <laughs> I always loved art. My first prize in Liverpool Echo for a drawing uh, gave me so much encouragement. It was all I wanted to do from then on. I was 11. John's sketches were rude, crude, and hilarious. That's why I fell in love with him. On her pop CD, she made a CD. It was a wonderful experience, but I think I embarrassed Julian. <laughs> That's fucking funny. Ah, there we are. Uh, let's see here. John Lennon fired the Beatles' astrologer after he insisted John leave Yoko and return to Cynthia. <laughs> what do you need when you launch a ride-on shop like Apple, the Beatles' 60s boutique, an on-site astrologer? Uh, let's see here. Paul McCartney apparently drafted Hey Jude while driving to see Cynthia after her divorce from John. We'd been very good friends for millions of years, and I thought it was a bit much for them to suddenly, uh, for them to be suddenly persona non grata and out of my life. The song, originally called Hey Jules, was written for Julian as an eventual pick-me-up for when he was old enough to hear it. John bought Cynthia a dog called Bernard. Uh, this is the part. Let's see here. After divorcing her third husband, John Twist, after seven years of marriage, she changed her surname back to Lennon in order to win a design contract with the company Vitona Viella. And every woman in this room and every woman within the sound of my voice will know exactly what I'm talking about when I read this quote from Cynthia Lennon, who was a right-on person in her own uh, right. And cue this up, and then we're going to fuck off out of here. In a reader Q&A, she told The Independent, do you imagine I would have been awarded a three-year contract to design bedding and textiles with the name Powell? 
neither did they. When it is necessary to earn a living, it is necessary to bite the bullet and take the flack. Cynthia Levin is uh, swirling in heaven tonight uh, with Sarah Brady. I wish you nothing but love. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. Uh, May every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool pop of bell. If you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Good night, everyone. Thank you.